to the Society for Pediatric Sedation podcast, a podcast dedicated to those immersed in pediatric procedural sedation. My name is Lori Riley, and I'm a pediatric nurse practitioner at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia with more than 20 years of experience in pediatric radiology and sedation. Today's sedation podcast is dedicated to discussing how to start a nitrous oxide service. I am delighted to be joined by Mary Kay Farrell and Laura Mitchell. Mary Kay, a clinical sedation and procedural nurse at the Children's Hospitals and Clinics of Minnesota, who also has over 20 years of experience as a clinical educator for sedation and procedural services. She is a top national expert on the use of nitrous oxide in pediatric sedation and how to start a nitrous oxide service. She is joined by Laura Mitchell, a child life specialist with the sedation team at Nemours Children's Hospital in Delaware. Laura is also on the executive board of the SPS. Welcome to the SPS podcast, Mary Kay and Laura. We'll start our discussion with you, Mary Kay. Lori, thank you for the opportunity to share the success of a nitrous sedation program and hopefully helping others consider nitrous as an option for their patients. I have been working with nitrous sedation since 2004 when we added the option of nitrous for minimal sedation procedures. I have been lucky to witness its benefits for our patients and enjoy sharing its successes. I hope to help other facilities by sharing information so that they will not have to reinvent the wheel as they consider nitrous sedation services as an option for sedation. So Mary Kay, how did you first become interested in the use of nitrous oxide? Actually, the first time I saw nitrous sedation used was in the emergency room. A patient with a dislocated shoulder was brought into our department with nitrous being used for pain control. The paramedic was delivering it with a mask and a small tank. The patient was calm and able to answer questions. When the nitrous was stopped, he was once again in severe pain. Not too long after that, I witnessed it when my niece broke her ankle playing ball. The drama queen that she was as a teen very loudly suggested unreasonable pain. After the paramedics started the nitrous, she was silent, cooperative, and just said it just hurt a little bit, but it was okay. She really didn't seem to care. At that time, we were looking for something to replace midazolam for our VCUG patients during urinary catheterization. Our radiology halls often sounded like a torture chamber with kids crying. We noticed that P.O. midazolam often did not calm down the kids and it didn't do much for the discomfort. After the exam, they were crabby and sleepy. Often the kids had hallucinations that were very scary. For example, one kid told us that his nurse had four eyes and that his mom looked like a green monster. This is all while there were several people holding the child down to place a catheter. So you can just imagine how scared those kids are. Inadequate or no sedation, parents often reported that their child would not allow them even to change a diaper after this type of traumatic experience, and they had a horrible fear of healthcare providers are going to their doctor. Our sedation department was asked to take over sedation for this procedure. We wanted to try nitrous. We thought if paramedics and dental hygienists could be trained to do it, Why couldn't nurses that were trained in advanced sedation, working under the direction of a doctor, do it as well? What led you to consider nitrous as a change in practice for urinary catheter placement needed for VCUGs? 
Our sedation team understood how pain and distress experienced by a child with painful and distressing procedures sets the tone for future medical interactions. This can have long-term effects with their attitude and willingness to participate in healthcare now and in the future. We saw this even with parents who had gone through these types of procedures when they were a child. They didn't want to see their own children go through that. Nitrous is a gas used for pain and anxiety since the 1860s. It is useful in reducing pain and anxiety during minimally invasive procedures common to pediatric population. Nitrous works fast. The effects start in just a few minutes with a quick recovery to baseline in about five minutes. It has a lengthy history for safety and efficacy, so it's efficient and safe. So what other procedural considerations could nitrous be used? You can consider nitrous possibly with a topical anesthetic for PIVs, IMs, suturing, lumbar punctures, Botox injections, foreign body removal, imaging, subcutaneous implants, GYN exams and procedures. The list really goes on. The more people that find it for their own uses, the more things that they consider it for. You can consider nitrous combined with opioids, benzos, and topical or local anesthetic for fracture reduction, intraarticular injections, joint aspiration, extensive suturing, durotomic procedures, myringotomies, organ biopsies, such as for thyroid and liver. So you clearly outlined that the expectations must match the capabilities of nitrous and really should be considered part of the sedation procedure plan. Yep, that's a big part of the plan. And the more you know it, the more you're going to understand what you can use it for. And what are the clinical effects of nitrous oxide? The clinical effects include sedation, anxiolysis, analgesia, amnesia with a rapid onset from one to five minutes and a rapid recovery to baseline with 100% oxygen about three to five minutes. And you get all of this from one medication. Nitrous administered at less than or equal to 50% without other sedating agents is classified as minimal sedation by the American Academy of Pediatrics. When nitrous is greater than 50%, it may produce moderate sedation. Nitrous alone, even at 70%, is incapable of producing general anesthesia. Many patients will remain awake, interactive, even to play games at 70%. The big trick of nitrous is the art of titration to a patient's need. The level of sedation is the key to success along with distraction and child life. And what we notice is that older kids often need less than the younger ones. Nitrous used with other medications such as benzoins or opioids is more likely to produce moderate or deep sedation. Can you explain for our audience the pharmacokinetics for nitrous? Yes. Nitrous is a colorless gas, heavier than air, with a faint sweet smell. Because it is relatively insoluble in blood, alveolar uptake is rapid, and equilibrium is reached quickly in vascular beds such as the brain. Sedative effects may be apparent within the first 30 seconds, with full effects in five minutes. Nitrous is not metabolized in the liver or kidneys or stored in tissue. It's just eliminated on change through exaltation from the lungs. 
when inhalation is discontinued and the patient receives a few minutes of oxygen, the sedative effects abates within minutes. There are clinical effects beyond sedation. It can cause expansion of trapped gas. So an example would be nitrous replacing nitrogen in any closed gas space since nitrogen diffuses in faster and nitrogen diffuses out slower, can trap gas and it will expand. A pneumothorax can double its size in 10 minutes. Nitrous can increase cerebral blood flow and may increase ICP, intracranial pressure. Consider your contraindications before use. On the good side, it increases venous tone, which makes veins easier to peer, which helps NIV starts. So further summary of the pharmacokinetics of nitrous oxide is that the blood gas partition coefficient of nitrous is 34 times greater than nitrogen. Thus, it allows nitrous to leave the bloodstream and enter air-filled cavities 34 times faster than nitrogen. So nitrous is really a low-potency anesthetic with a minimum alveolar concentration or MAC of 105% compared to a MAC of 1.4% of a potent volatile anesthetic such as isoflurane. Yep, and that's a good point because one of the things that we got held back on by anesthesia was nurses using an anesthetic. So this proves that you can't achieve anesthesia with nitrous alone. So what types of side effects should we be looking out for? The most common side effect that we see is nausea and vomiting, and it could occur in 2 to 3% of the patients. So it's not a lot, but it's something to be aware of. And we know that if you administer it longer than 15 minutes or higher than 50%, the chances increase. And one point that I want to make is the most common procedures that we use it for are IV starts and urinary catheters. And many times the whole thing is done in less than 10 minutes. Diffusion hypoxia is a theoretical risk of alveolar oxygen dilution as nitrous leaves the bloodstream more quickly than the nitrogen is absorbed. For this reason, 100% oxygen is delivered after nitrous is discontinued with a scavenging system to reduce residual exhaled nitrous and eliminate the risk of diffusion hypoxia. Also, hallucinations occur, but it is difficult to differentiate the actual hallucinations from dreams that are encouraged with the aid of guided imagery. In higher concentrations of nitrous, sexually stimulated hallucinations have been described, hence the need to have a parent or caregiver at the bedside with a patient during nitrous administration. So just to remind the group, there was a large study done using data from the Pediatric Sedation Research Consortium, study done by Dr. Dan Z et al., published in 2016 Journal of Pediatrics, actually reported a very low prevalence of serious adverse events during nitrous administration in children outside of the operating room and by non-anesthesiologists. The odds of vomiting increased when concomitant opioids were administered or if the child was NPO for clear liquids less for a period of time less than two hours. So Mary Kay, what about some of the contraindications to nitrous administration? Definitely all patients should be screened for contraindications as part of the pre-screening. Any condition where there is air that could be trapped in the body, including a pneumothorax, intestinal obstruction, a craniotomy within three weeks, 
a tympanoplasty within two weeks. I just want to make it clear that PE tubes are okay. Diving within 24 hours, interocular surgery within 10 weeks, severe bolus emphysema, and we like to use caution with cystic fibrosis. Other contraindications include a history of bleomycin administration, vitamin B12 deficiencies, impaired level of consciousness, intoxication with drugs or alcohol, MTHFR, shunt-dependent cardiac defects, and pregnancy within the first and second trimester. We advise the contraindications to be discussed with an ordered marine physician since some of the contraindications are absolute and some may be considered safe in some situations. So Mary Kay, you carefully mentioned that careful patient selection is important prior to nitrous use. So although nitrous oxide is a very safe drug in the hands of trained individuals, there are a few contraindications. It's contraindicated in the patient who has air trapping anywhere in the body, including after a recent surgery, or a patient with vitamin B12 or folate metabolism issues, or a patient with shunt-dependent cardiac defects, and as well as the first two trimesters of pregnancy, including the staff who may also be pregnant. So can you tell us now what equipment would be needed to deliver nitrous sedation? Today, there's choices to meet the medical needs of patients. All equipment must be equipped with a scavenging system to minimize the risk of occupational exposure. Choices include continuous flow and demand systems. Continuous flow systems have a nitrous blender and allow the continuous delivery of a variable percent of nitrous with oxygen as the remaining gas. This allows titration of nitrous percentage to be matched to the individual patient's need. Due to continuous flow, there is an increased risk of environmental contamination if the mass seal is not maintained. Where the demand system is designed to be set at a fixed concentration, the demand bell provides gas only when the patient inhales and the gases are mixed automatically the same as the continuous equipment. This is simple to use and the demand valve may decrease environmental contamination, but young children have difficulty overcoming the demand valve to initiate gas flow. There are new demand equipment setups now that are starting to show up that have the potential to be able to titrate or be fixed as well as the ability for younger patients to be able to initiate gas flow. Why should an institution bother about offering nitrous as part of their sedation program, Mary Kay? I just have to say because it's the right thing to do. We know that there's a growing recognition for even minor procedures such as needle sticks that can affect a child's long-term emotional well-being. Nitrous is a sample of it's simple, it's safe, it's effective, means can help pain and anxiety. Patient, parents, and staff satisfaction is greatly improved when we take the time to meet the needs of the patients experiencing the pain and anxiety. What are some of the first steps to starting a nitrous program in your institution? Well, I think you can divide it into three parts, the institutional issues, the regulatory issues, and equipment issues. And I'd also like at this point just to say that there is a good resource in zaregroup.com that will go through all of this stuff and it's got other information helpful in starting a program. 
But the first thing you want to do is identify the problem you want to solve. Are there patients who can benefit from nitrous? Determine the patient and the procedure you want to improve. Do you have a patient not well served in your current practice? Are patients undergoing distressful and painful procedures without sedation or adequate analgesia? You also want to think about short procedures with sedation that you might have your patients too deep or lasting longer than necessary. And then you want to create a plan. Who's going to deliver the, or administer the nitrous? And are there sedation providers at the bedside in case the patient becomes moderately or deeply sedated? Who can administer nitrous? What is appropriate monitoring? What policies and procedures are guided by your patients that you want to serve? In some states, RNs can administer nitrous sedation as minimal sedation, and it was in their scope of practice that they can do this since it's a delegated order from a ordering provider. You want to include the stakeholders, and there's a lot of departments involved. A nitrous program involves the whole medical facility, including physicians, advanced practice nurses, RNs, administration, biomed, facilities, purchasing, occupational health, and most important, your patients. You want to assess your facility to make sure you have the capability to remove exhaled nitrous via an active nitrous vacuum system. And in most cases, it's just your wall suction. The area chosen for nitrous administration must have the capability to remove exhaled nitrous via an active vacuum system. And facilities can help you determine that as well as the exchanges of air in your department. Rooms need to be equipped with safety monitoring and rescue equipment for any sedated patient. What are some of the regulatory issues that one has to deal with prior to starting a nitrous program? Well, we already mentioned a little bit, you do need to develop policies, procedures, and credentials. Nitrous may fit into an existing sedation policy or you may need to create a new policy specific to nitrous sedation. Be sure to include all the components such as assessment, monitoring, documentation, discharge, credentialing, and education. Consider a nitrous procedure as well as a policy because you can just get into more detail with a procedure as actually how to go about giving the nitrous. Credentialing and training plans need to be considered early in the process for education and credentialing. And what are the some of the equipment issues that you may face along the way? Equipment purchase. Regarding the equipment you choose, you will be able to include an oxygen and nitrous source. So you can either have plumbed in or tanks, flow meters with a blender, circuit mask and scavenging systems. The advantage of the tank is that it's portable. It's a system that you can move around pretty easy. The system can be set up to travel. The disadvantages are that you can run out of nitrous. The gauges on a nitrous tank are not as reliable as compared to an oxygen tank. So you can run out of nitrous with very short or no notice. You need to always make sure that you have a full tank if you have one that empties. There are also more security issues with tanks, and nitrous tanks need to be locked up at all times when not used. 
The advantages of a wall system are that it's cheaper after the initial construction. You have an unlimited supply. You never run out during a procedure. The wall system is easier to use and seems to have less leaks. The disadvantages are that you cannot be as mobile. So you want to consider this with any new construction. And the wall systems are really good for a procedure room or a sedation room. So it seems that you need to start small and begin by training a small group of staff initially in nitrous use to allow them to get the experience that is essential to the success of not only the program, but also to provide the best experience for patients and families. So start small and be patient. Ha ha, no pun intended. Yep. Thanks, Mary Kay, for providing us with the nuts and bolts of setting up a nitrous oxide program. Now let's hear from Laura Mitchell. Laura is a child life specialist with extensive experience with nitrous oxide at Nemours Children's Hospital in Delaware. So, Laura, tell us more about how child life specialists contribute to the nitrous oxide program at your institution. Absolutely. The child life specialist really plays a key role here. It all starts with our assessment process, where we collaborate with the sedation team and the proceduralist to identify which patients have the capacity to be the most successful incorporating nitrous oxide into their sedation plan. We want to know, will they be accepting of the mask? Will the sensory experience of nitrous oxide be overwhelming for them? Will they be responsive to the cues for rhythmic breathing that we'll be providing? We consider these questions through the lens of the patient's psychosocial and emotional development. In our discussions with the team, we also consider which procedures would be the most appropriate for this medication. Just like Mary Kay said, we actually also use it for IV placement, urinary catheter placements, but we also use nitrous for suture removal and Botox injections, just to name a few. So what types of techniques do you recommend? Well, to begin, we always want to say that a non-pharmacological technique is not mutually exclusive with sedation. So once we determine to move forward with nitrous, our next step is to really collaborate with the family to develop an individualized education and coping plan. Evidence-based practice tells us that when patients know what to expect, it really can decrease their anxiety and increase their cooperation which should hopefully help them tolerate the procedure. Our overarching goal is to promote an emotionally safe experience for our patients and by extension, their families. We use non-threatening language to explain the process and give our patients the opportunity to manipulate the equipment to increase their feelings of control and autonomy. We'll let the kids choose the flavor of their mask, which is actually just a flavor chapstick. And we'll kind of let them practice their breathing techniques. We'll also prepare the children for the sensory experience, the tingly feelings, the warm flush, the floaty feelings, the dreams. We really want to normalize what can otherwise be a very unusual sensory experience. And how about during the procedure? How can we help kids have the most positive experience with nitrous oxide? Well, to begin, we uh, recommend incorporating the one voice methodology and maintaining it throughout the procedural experience. One voice, which is an acronym, um, was conceptualized by the child life specialist, Deb Wagers, to help healthcare professionals incorporate the elements of child life interventions into their everyday practice. So generally speaking, this acronym incorporates the concepts of pre-procedural preparation, family-centered care, comfort positioning, multidisciplinary collaboration, etc. All the things that we know are incredibly important, and it really combines them into a clear and concise approach. So when we are using nitrous, the most critical element of this overarching approach 
is the actual one or singular voice that will be interacting with the patient to avoid an overstimulating experience. So that kind of one voice, in quotes, um, should be quiet and soothing. You want your voice um, and the language that you're using to be evocative of the safe and relaxing environment that you are trying to promote. Think of your voice as a tool, just like any other in your bag of tricks. When you're using your procedure voice, or at my hospital, they call it the Lara voice, you may also need to incorporate some sensory elements of the procedure into your scripting, whether it's promoting that rhythmic breathing, reminding a patient that those warm, floaty feelings are normal, or preparing them for the sensory experience of the procedure itself. The feelings of cold or wet or pushing or pressure that might be associated with what their procedure is actually incorporating. As Mary Kay said, um, guided imagery is also incredibly valuable. And when we're utilizing that, we want to think about specific scripting that will create an immersive experience so that the elements of the procedure can be incorporated into your script. We also want to be thoughtful as our patients are kind of re-emerging from the nitrous experience. Mary Kay referenced some dreams that patient can have. So from a child life perspective, we want to help them reframe any of those dreams that they might remember so that they can emerge in a safe space and remind them that they were successful. So Laura, it seems like having a child life specialist really does help to prepare the patient prior to nitrous administration. And it's really invaluable for the child and family to have an optimal sedation experience. Child life specialists definitely provide evidence-based, developmentally and psychologically appropriate interventions, including therapeutic play, preparation for procedures and education to help reduce fear, anxiety and pain. Thank you for joining us today for this Society for Pediatric podcast about how to start a nitrous oxide service. We thank Mary Kay Farrell and Laura Mitchell for sharing their experience and expertise with us today. We hope you found value in this short podcast, and we welcome you to share your feedback and place a review on our podcast. Please visit our website, www.pedsedation.org. We would also love to meet you at our upcoming conference in Seattle in September. Stay tuned for our next episode. 